And we're turning to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, We're turning to Matthew, Matthew 28, from verses 16 to 20. So uh, here's a challenge for the youth, page number. If you're a youth and you've got a Bible, what page number is that on? Matthew chapter 28. One of the youth. Oh! You've got to be under 16. 1,000. You're not under 16. Is it 1,000, though? Brilliant. Matthew 28, it'll also come up on the screens. So here it is, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is after his resurrection. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, get this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There you go. All, Jesus said there, all authority. I want to spend a few moments this morning thinking about that phrase. All authority given to me. It's not the only place Jesus says that sort of thing, just in case uh, you're wondering. Matthew eleven twenty seven. let me just give you a few more. All things have been handed to me by my Father, says Jesus. John three thirty five. the Father loves the Son and has placed all things in his hands. John 13, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things in his power. And Ephesians 1.22, this is the Apostle Paul. God seated him, here he is, Christ the King, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, and has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. All authority, all things, everything has been given to Christ the King, Jesus. And I want 10 glimpses. Have you had a 10-point sermon before? You're going to get 10 points, but we're going to do them really quick, two minutes each. 10-point sermon. They're all going to come up on the screen, so youth, you can watch the screens as well as listen to my voice. Uh, Number one, here we go. You ready? Jesus has authority over all creation. This is John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. I used to be a maths teacher. Uh, In maths, we talk about things being necessary and sufficient. So let me give you an example, right? If you want to open a locked door, you need the key 
And if you have the key, you have everything you need to open that locked door. The key is necessary and completely sufficient. Once you've got the key, you've got everything you need to open the door. Necessary and sufficient. Jesus Christ is the only necessary and sufficient condition for the existence of the universe. You need him, and once you've got him, you have everything you need to put a universe into being. Let me teach you some Latin, youth. You ready for this? We as Christians, we speak about creation as creation ex nihilo, which means from nothing. From nothing. So Jesus didn't need matter and energy, and then he just kind of fashions it into a created universe. He needs nothing. He created it from nothing. And therefore, he is the potter who has the right over the clay. That's another phrase we get in the Bible, Romans chapter uh, 9. The potter has the right over the clay. It's his. He has the title deeds. He made it. The clay is his. He does whatever he chooses with it. Jesus has authority over all creation. That's one. Two, he has authority to sustain the whole world. That's why I found a picture of some massive pillars in that photo there. Let me give you Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Here it is. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Here's another one, Colossians 1:17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So then Jesus not only has the right to all of creation, he actually sustains it, holds it together. Now that's slightly strange for us because when we think of kings or queens in England, you think of a monarch like someone who kind of just does ceremonial things. You know, you turn up and you look very regal and you put a crown on your head every now and again. Um, You have the right to reign, but you don't actually use it. In this country, that's kind of how our kings and queens work, or they do now. Uh, They just give all their responsibilities to Parliament, so they don't actually do anything. That's not what Jesus is like, though. It's not that he has the right to reign and doesn't use it. He has the right, and he uses it. And he sustains the whole world by the power of his word. Now, a better picture, therefore, for us to think about Jesus, perhaps you might like a little sort of way to visualize this, Um, One way that's been suggested in the past is that God's a bit like a watchmaker. You heard of this? So God sort of makes a very intricate creation, much like you might make a watch, and it's very delicate and very precise and all these little turning parts. And then he winds it up. Yeah, that used to happen with watches. You would wind it up, and then you'd forget about it, and it would just tick, tock, tick, tock, and you just wouldn't need, you don't even need to think about it, right? It's been, it's been sort of called a watchmaker sort of understanding of, of God. As in, he's made this creation and he just winds it up and then he can kind of walk away and let it just work its way out. Now, generally speaking, Christians 
throughout the ages have rejected that kind of view of God and instead preferred this one. The idea that Jesus is like a conductor of an orchestra and all the time engaged, all the time bringing things into play. Like, you know, the brass section, right, yeah, a bit more of you. And then the, the violins, no, I just want you to play some long notes, a bit quieter and then a bit quicker and a bit slower. And then I'll bring this thing to a conclusion exactly when I want to. That's what the conductor does. Jesus is like that. Authority to govern, sustain, hold, keep going the whole world. That's number two. Number three, he has authority over the natural world. Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? So youth, think about this. Think about Jesus was, was looking there for like the most trivial example. What could I think of in creation that no one really, you know, that doesn't really come to mind? Hmm, a sparrow on a branch, on a tree, in a forest somewhere, you know? Who would ever think of it? You don't even see it. You don't even think about that. And Jesus says, no, the Lord does. And that sparrow won't fall to the ground without my care, without my say-so, says God. That's what Jesus says about his father. And then the father commits all that authority to Jesus. And that's meant to be an encouragement, you see, because if, if God's looking after a sparrow in the middle of a forest, on a branch somewhere, then he's looking after you. Jesus has all authority to look after everything in his world. And he does so with the greatest of care. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, says Jesus. I'm keeping my eye on every single one. That's the kind of authority I'm running here says Jesus, all authority has been given to me. Four, Jesus has authority over the whole world, seen and unseen. So Mark 1.27, the people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. So, brothers and sisters, ever felt confronted by what feels or seems like spiritual evil? Ever felt that? We pray, don't we? Jesus calls us to pray, pray deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. He says we, we ought to pray that prayer every day. Now, when we're facing that kind of confrontation, we need to know it has been authorized by Jesus. He's authorized that. The book of Job, in the Bible there's a book called the book of Job, and the whole way through it depicts Satan, who wants to carry out all kinds of horrible things to God's servant Job. But every time, every time he wants to do anything, he has to sort of come into the courtroom of heaven. Can I inflict your servant Job with sores? And the Lord goes, mm, okay, you can do this, but not that. 
You can go this far, but no further. I'll give you permission. And he has to keep coming back for more permission for other things. That's the picture that God gives us in the book of Job. Now, do you have a category for that? Do you see that? That God's not the author of evil, but he authorizes. He authorizes it. It's not beyond his control. It's not something that's outside his remit, like he can't deal with that. No, he, it's authorized. So when you feel got at spiritually, you can know that's passed through the courtroom of heaven and received God's full authorization. He's only doing what he's given his explicit permission to do. And Jesus has that authority. All things have been committed to me by my Father, he says. Number five, he has authority over the affairs of history. I love these readings. This is Daniel, Daniel's prayer from Daniel 2.21. Authority over the affairs of history. Listen to this. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. His wisdom and power, a wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes or he removes kings and raises up others. Listen to this, Proverbs 21. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels wherever he likes. And in that verse, towards all who please him. That is, there's no prime minister, there's no president, there's no ruler, there's no monarch, there's no sheikh, there's no anyone who's in their office and given their authority without God's say-so. And God gave all of that authority and permission to Jesus. So Jesus gives his say-so for every ruler, every king, every president. How does that affect your prayers? Jesus is saying these things. Remember, he's saying these things to his disciples to give them confidence. Don't worry about Caesar. Caesar? Nero? Don't worry about him. I put him there. Whoever it is who may be a tyrant, like we have a relatively benign government. Imagine we had a tyrant who was ransacking churches. Jesus is like, don't worry. I put him there. He has authority over the affairs of history. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, says Jesus. Number six, he has authority over our bodies, over our health, over whether our bodies work or don't work. I love this little section from um, Exodus chapter four, where Moses says to the Lord, here you go, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. Uh, I've never been able, I've, I've been, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I, I, you know, usually we, we look at that and say, oh, he had some sort of speech impediment. The Lord said to him, listen to this, who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I? The Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. 
And the point of that word there is to encourage Moses. You know, don't let your dysfunctional body, there might be things, you might have a dodgy leg, dodgy hip, you know, you might be sort of, and it might be serious and permanent. The Lord's like, that's right, I can use that. I can use that. Trust me. Jesus, when he's asked, do you remember when Jesus was asked um, by his disciples because they were asking him about the man born blind? Do you remember that? And they're convinced he's, the reason he's blind is either he's sinned or his parents have sinned. And so they say to Jesus, like, who is it? Who's, who's sinned because this guy is blind for, because he's being punished by God? And Jesus is like, no, it's not that. It's not actually about that. It is an occasion, Jesus basically says to his disciples, this is going to be an occasion for the glory of God, for the workings of God. This thing here will be an occasion. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. This has happened so the works of God might be displayed. That's what it says. So Jesus has all authority, including how our bodies work, whether they work or not for his kingdom. Number seven, Jesus has, he even has authority. This is quite, get your head around this, right? Youth, you still with me? Jesus has authority, get this one, over sin, wrongdoing. I've heard it put like this. Um, No one, you can't hide, you can't sort of hide from God by dashing down sin alley. Right, so you want to. You sometimes imagine. I've I've imagined it in my head. If you kind of, oh, if I just dart down this little this little alley down here of some sort of sinfulness, the Lord won't see me down there. I'll just sneak away. I'll be out of sight. No. Listen to how Peter and John, the other disciples, look. This is how they looked at Jesus' death. Now, this this is you really need to get this one. When we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, you are looking at the most grievous most wicked deed in all of history. It was the biggest affront to God in the history of the world. So we're talking about the most wicked act that we perpetrated against the Lord. Right? This, is how the, this is how they talk about it. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. So loads of people were doing it. In this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, read this. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You need to get this. Even the most wicked acts that humans conceive of like the cross, was orchestrated precisely by the Lord. Such that when the disciples looked at that, they looked at that and think, right, well, if that's how God, if God can work through that, then enable your servants to speak with great boldness. We can do anything. We can do anything. If you can work even through that, and through sinful people doing horrible and wicked things, then enable your servants. We'll just step out into your world and do whatever you call us to do. Because you've got it all. 
He's sort of orchestrating the whole thing. Number eight, Jesus has authority over people becoming Christians, opening blind eyes. Authority over conversions. Every time someone becomes a Christian, the authority of that belongs to Jesus Christ. So uh, one of my favorite little sequences is in Luke's gospel, okay? I tell you what, if you can recall this, if you can tell this back to me after the service, you can have a, you can have a prize. I'll find a prize in the office. It's a great little sequence. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, right? Here's the story. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's his question. Good question. They start talking about the law and various things. And then Jesus says to him, look, one thing you lack, go and do this, right? Sell all your possessions, give to the poor, come back and follow me. Nice and easy. Just sell them all. Easy. Give to the poor. Easy. Follow me. Done. Now the man had, it says he had great wealth, so he couldn't do it. He hangs his head. He walks away. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, it's easier for a camel, right? Think of a camel. We don't see many camels. A camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's what he says. And his disciples listen to that and they go, what? What? How can anyone be saved? That's crazy. And Jesus says, yeah, it is. That is, it is impossible. He says, when people love money, that's impossible. You can't change that. Not by yourself. You cannot. If someone loves money, nah. You can't do anything. There's nothing you can do about that. Jesus says it's impossible. Except for God. So he says, with man, this is impossible. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And then the very next thing in Luke chapter 19, check it out, it literally comes next, (laughs) is this guy called Zacchaeus, who, Luke says, was very wealthy. He's there. He doesn't seem to care, Zacchaeus, what other people think of him. He's very rich, tax collector, chief tax collector. So he's got a lot of wedge. And he, he then sees Jesus. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. They have some dinner. He's converted. He's saved. He, follow, he becomes a follower of Jesus that day. And you know that because he gives half of his money away and he pledges more. Salvation has come to this house, says Jesus. So the very next thing to happen, Jesus says, impossible with men. God, all things possible. And then he does it. And then he actually does it in the life of Zacchaeus. Now, I'm saying all this to you so that we have confidence. I don't know if you've lost it. Maybe you haven't. But you need to hear that, to know that. The most unlikely person on your street, the most unlikely friend in the office, the most unlikely family member, all of the people who you think, these, are, these people will never come to a carol service. They won't darken the doors of any church ever. There is no chance. I can't even talk about Jesus with this person and they'll sort of shout me down or whatever. The least likely person, um, as well as the, the person who you think, they're basically a Christian. Do you know that person who you think, this person is, they're not a Christian, but they basically, they act like a Christian. They're really, really lovely. <laughs> 
you might think that person is just the tiniest little, all I need to do is just give them a slight nudge and they'll be in the kingdom, right? Jesus says in both cases, in both cases, it takes a miracle of my doing. That person who's just, they look like they're a fraction of a millimeter away from the kingdom. Jesus said to get them over the threshold, that takes my work. And then you look at someone else who looks like they're, you know, a football pitch away. It still takes me. Now that should fuel your prayers. It's his work. So pray to him. Lord, would you do it? And just pick anyone you like. Someone you're speaking to this week, the hardest heart what it looks like, pray for them. Pray for the most unlikely people. And nine, two more. Jesus has authority over death. This is so good, right? Do you know the apostle put two sentences together that are unbelievable (laughs) to put these two things side by side? I think he must have been the first person to put this kind of madness on a page, right? The Apostle Paul put these two thoughts in the same place. You ready? Sentence one. For your sake, he's quoting a part of the Old Testament, one of the Psalms. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. So he's saying there, as Christian people, as Christian people, we we will die. Uh, We may die all kinds of death, famine, you know, danger, nakedness, sword, persecutions, right? He says, he acknowledges that's going to happen. That, that could well happen for Christians. Then he says this. This is the second verse. This is straight afterwards. He goes, in all of that, in all of that, including violent deaths, we are more than conquerors. In other words... This is how they thought about death. This is how the apostles thought about it. They went, if you kill us, we win. And we win big. And the more you kill us, the more we win. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, you've got to remember, remember that the Christians were an enemy of the state. They were like a terrorist organization in like the first century. So the Roman... The Roman authorities wanted to get rid of Christians and their thinking must have been, we don't like these guys. They called them atheists because they didn't like the fact that they didn't worship the Roman gods. We'll get rid of these guys and once we wipe them all out, problem solved, right? That's how the Roman um, authorities dealt with their problems. Wipe out the Christians, we'll just kill them. Nice and easy, we'll feed them to the lions. And the thinking of the Christians was, Uh, No, the more you kill us, the more that will propagate the kingdom. Because we saw that work in Jesus. We saw that when you killed him, it only achieved the greatest good for the gospel ever. So they looked at that and they went, oh, wow. So even when we die in our droves, it will have the opposite effect because Jesus now has authority, even over death. 
and will use it. He can use it. He can use it like a tool to bring about his purposes. So they had incredible confidence. Yeah, all day long. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And even as you kill us, you'll be achieving God's work. That's the kind of authority Jesus has. All authority has been given to him. And therefore, finally, number 10, he's sovereign and he's, he has all authority in mission to the whole world. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not of the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So the point here is Jesus is saying, I will not fail. I will bring in the nations. There will be a mixed multitude around my throne. I will do it. I will achieve it. Do you want to be a part of it? And he uses us. And he's giving this, remember, he's giving this instruction to his disciples saying, go, just go do it. If it helps, um, sometimes I think about um, a surgeon and their scalpel, right? Uh, we're in the position, if you like, of a scalpel, right? Scalpels don't do surgery. But surgeons can't do surgery without scalpels. So surgeons use scalpels. But scalpels don't do the surgery. Now Jesus wants to fill us with that kind of confidence. Namely, he's going to use you and me. That's what he's, he's going to use us. He's going to use his church. He's going to get the work done and he's going to use you and me. He's chosen to do it that way. And he wants to fill us with confidence that it will get done. It'll get done because it's his work. He's the surgeon. Right? He's going to do it. He will get it done. Right? Like a surgeon will get the operation done. Now, he needs a scalpel. He's going to use a scalpel. So whether it's, whether it's me or you or another church down the road that's praying, he's going to get it done. He'll use a church. He'll use his church wherever he finds it. He's going to get it done. You can't lose, but you want to be part of it. Jesus wants us to have that kind of confidence no matter what we decide to do next. Now, here's where I'm coming into land. I'm finishing here. My prayer as I've prepared this sermon is that this unleashes some big decisions for Christ bold prayers to pray for people who you think are least likely. That could be number one. Bold evangelism so that you walk out those doors and into your place of work or where you're moving and living and you're bold for Christ knowing he has all authority. Whether people come against you, whether they receive the message you give, you give them, whether they take the card off you, whether they take the flower and say, no thanks, no, you're all right. Whatever it is, Boldness. Jesus is going to get the work done. You're sitting in his hands. 
and you're going to take some bold steps because you know he has all authority. But thirdly, it may, it may be even bolder. I wonder, we're talking about Christ the King, right? I wonder what the Lord is stirring up in maybe one or two, three or four, five or six hearts to do something even, even bigger for Christ. And it might start just right here. We're sowing a thought this morning. It might be that someone does something massive, like uproots, moves house, goes to some place in the world where no one wants to go, and I'll take the name of Christ there. I don't know if that kind of decision is just sitting on your mind as you think to yourself, here I am, I don't know what age you are. I could do that. Might involve learning a new language, might involve selling everything you have, might involve getting a lot of support, might involve a lot of prayer. It may involve going to the toughest places in the world. I joked with someone the other day about going to North Korea. I'm not joking, actually. Christ is king there. He's king there. That's a bit more. It's a bit more what it was like for Apostle Paul and the other disciples in the New Testament. Bit more like North Korea. So if it works for the Apostle Paul and Peter and John and all the disciples in the hostile environment that they were working in, you can do it in North Korea. Now for some, there might be a stirring up for a bold decision for Christ. This morning, it's just starting. Jesus wants you to know, all of us, I've got all the authority. It's all been given to me. So you can just step out with great confidence into that decision if you want to make it. If it's the right one to make, if it's the right one for you right now, just go ahead. Do it. All authority has been given to me by my Father. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, where we may have lost a vision of you with this kind of authority and power and dominion and rule, such a beautiful rule, such a wonderful and righteous rule, um, so enabling, so confidence-giving to us, your people. Where we've forgotten it, Lord, would you fill our hearts again? Would you ignite our hearts again with a flame with a confidence, with a desire for your great name, Lord Jesus. And might it propel us, Lord, we pray, might it propel us to do bold things for you, Lord Jesus. We look at our Christian forebears, we look at the apostles, we look at the martyrs through the millennia, people who've laid down everything for you, Lord Jesus. They've bet on you 100%, and we know They've put all their life and everything they have in exactly the right place. When they put it on you, the king of all kings, who holds all authority, there is no better place. 
Father, might we do that? Help us to do that. Renew that in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to speak the name of Jesus. That's the last song, I think. Uh, We're going to speak and sing his name. And we can use this song as a prayer and as a response. Um, And indeed, if there are prayers that need to be prayed this morning because things have been striking a chord, please do, after the service, there'll be a chance to grab one of us, perhaps someone with a lanyard, and let's pray. Let's not miss the moment. Let's maybe pray something through. Um, Together, that would be a good thing to do, a good response to make. So do please use that if you'd like to.